Hello and welcome to the YDN's Black History Month special issue. This special issue is meant to be for Black people, from Black people, showcasing the unity of the diaspora and the beauty of Black resistance. I'm your host, Alyssa Michelle. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with Abiba Bio, Markeisha Ricks, and Rebecca Moore to talk about the importance of Black journalism and representation. Can you all introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Abiba Bio. I'm a freshman at Southern Connecticut, majoring in public health and minoring in digital humanities and journalism. Mm, you better say that. Hello, my name is Markeisha Ricks, and I am the director of the Youth Arts Journalism at the New Haven Arts Council. Awesome. And I am Rebecca Moore, Program Director for the Arts Council of Greater New Haven and I New Haven the Native. <laughs> <laughs> they, knew, they knew what you meant. They knew what you meant. What you said. Okay, perfect. So my first question for you guys is, what does the Arts Council of Greater New Haven do? All right. So we are a resource for artists. So we specialize in fiscal sponsorship. As we know, there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to the grants and funding. So uh, we have fiscal sponsorship where artists can use our tax status, nonprofit status to be able to get grants and funding for their projects. We also have a directory called Culturalist, where a lot of times we'll get emails like, hey, I'm looking for a photographer. I'm looking for artists. Can you point me to the right direction? Will you send them directly there? It's like an Instagram for artists, free to sign up. And that gets rid of the gatekeeping of I'm only going to refer who I know where, you know, the person can go there and do that. Um, We have the Sandbox, which is a free space for artists. Um, We had an advisory committee full of artists that was like, listen, space is needed. And so we provided that for them. It's free to use the space. It's open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. We have podcasters that record. We have drummers that come and practice. We have bands that rehearse. We have a bunch of different events that happens there. So we do that as well. And we're just basically, like I said, a resource for artists in any, any way. We have a lot of other things too, but that's about it for now. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and so many things. <laughs> what does what does the Youth Arts Journalism Initiative do? I'll take that one. Boom. So the Youth Arts Journalism Initiative was started to, it was actually started in response to co-op high school at one point looking at potentially not having any journalism, any kind of um, creative writing at the school. And so the Arts Council work to create an idea that would provide some of that for students. And we wanted to be able to offer a program for high school students, public high school students, first in New Haven, now New Haven and Hamden, um, to give them an opportunity to learn the tools of journalism. And so we take them, we'll take 10 students each year for the last five or six years. We teach them the tenets of journalism from soup to nuts. We teach them how to report stories. Um, we teach them how to interview how to present themselves professionally as professional journalists, which is a really interesting kind of thing to teach high school students because high school students are typically in positions where they're being acted on by adults as opposed to given the tools that adults have to question what other adults do. And then we set them loose on the city to cover the city. Um, And they can cover anything they want. We encourage them to cover what piques their interest. Doesn't have to be arts related, but, you know, if they find some artistic endeavor that they're interested in and you can be a student who has an interest in journalism or not, you could just be someone who's interested in writing or someone who's just interested in the arts. We'll teach you how to write. You write publishable stories. We pay our students for those stories. That part. During their spring break, they participate in a week long intensive. And then once we set them free, every article that they write, they get paid for. And it's published in the arts paper. That sounds amazing. Yes. We, we think that it's pretty part. amazing. Yeah, yeah. And we've had, um, to date, probably about 60 students come through that program. Wow. And one of those students is here in this room. Yeah. So can you tell us about your experiences? I loved it. At first, I was like a little bit shy because, you know, you come in the room and stuff and, you know, there's only 10 of us and we're all from different schools or whatever. 
So you just sit down and you're just looking at each other. But then like through the warmth of the exercises, you kind of like get to know each other. My favorite part was when we just got the cameras and I was like, oh, this is like a real thing. Like this is an actual camera. Like, you know, it's for real. And then you just go taking pictures, like literally, like I think it was like the second day. And I was like so shocked because it was like everything you take through the camera, it looks beautiful. Like you just look through the viewfinder and you just see everything. And it's like literally amazing. And I feel like, I don't know, just the whole program helped me like understand New Haven more because I used to be a homebody. Like I never liked to go out of my bed. Like I was under the sheets all day, every day, bro. And like, I remember especially like doing college apps, everyone was like, oh, I want to go out of state. Oh, I want to go out of state. So naturally I had the same mindset, but then just doing that program helped me learn more about like all the arts and stuff happening. Like I was like, oh, New Haven's very dry. There's nothing here. There is stuff there. I just wasn't looking. So yeah. Doing that during like spring break, it really helped because that was after college apps. And I was like going through a rough time because like that's when I chose Southern and I was like kind of like not depressed, but like just down because everyone was telling me, how could you choose Southern over Brown? How could you choose Southern over the Ivy League or whatever? And it was like, I don't have the money to pay Brown. I don't have the money to pay any of my schools. Like I was devastated to like learn like literally all the schools I applied to and got into. Like I couldn't afford like originally I want to go to Northeastern. And it's in Boston, and I loved it. And I was like, okay, great. But then I looked at the thing, and it said 22000 I was like, mm, mm. When I got into Brown, like, everyone's reactions changed. Like, they are like, oh, Biba, I knew you could do it. You're so smart or whatever. And it, it really hurt because, like, especially because my counselor wasn't there throughout my process. She was kind of, like, absent. And it's not her fault because there's, like, a lot of kids, and she doesn't have time to, you know, come to everybody. And I wasn't really one of those students that needed help. I was able to get everything done independently for the most part. So in the beginning when I was telling her, like, oh, some of my ideas, like, oh, I want to apply here, she was like, mm, you might you might need a backup or, like, oh, I'm going to get the full ride at Southern. And she was like, you're competing with thousands of other kids in Connecticut for the spot so it just felt really disheartening like the day like literally april 1st she came in the room and took me outside and was talking to me and like hugged me and it was like <laughs> i i i missed that attention like i thought me and her were besties or whatever but like since she was like out for most of my process and i didn't get to talk to her i felt kind of distant and for them for her to come back after i had that success it felt so bad because it just felt like my worth was placed on just my academic prowess and I just didn't like that like I loved when people were like oh you got into brown congratulations like everyone in the school was congratulating me and it was just so weird so to just not be able to I guess fulfill everyone's expectations it really broke me and hearing like that story kind of hurts my feelings because Aviva's a great student, right? And she's a great in our program. And when you see bright students like Abiba, and we're fortunate enough to, you know, get all kinds of students who are like that. And I'm sure you come in contact with um, the students that you work with, that you, you know, you know that they're in situations that they're in schools that are large, where they're potentially understaffed in those areas. And you want to be like, we want to be a resource. And so, you know, Abiba still writes for the arts paper. But, you know, if there's any resource that I have through my sorority, through people I know here in the city who can potentially get her to wherever she wants to go. If she eventually wants to transfer to Brown, like, you know, that might be a possibility. But like, how do we get her there? How do you pay for that? Right. And so part of what the way we want to grow the youth arts journalism initiative, because we understand that, like, 
as much as we're teaching students journalism, we're also teaching them life skills. Um, and we're teaching them to ask in places where they may not think to ask and to be inquisitive, right? To be curious. At the end of the day, what we want them to be is amazing citizens who know how to ask good questions, right? Doesn't matter if you're a journalist, you just need to be an adult. That's how you need to live as an adult. We live in a world where misinformation is rampant and you need to be able to question things, right? You also need to know where to ask for resources because the, the squeaky wheel gets, the, gets the, the oil, right? Like the, the people who know where the resources are or know the resource people to ask are the people who get the resources. And so we understand that public high school students here in New Haven don't always have access to what they need. So that's why we pay our students first and foremost. And we're always like fighting to pay them more. Um, they get a $75 for every article they complete. And they also get um, a stipend for completing our boot camp as well as our, um, the entire program through the series. But like what we'd like to grow the program to do is to create an alumni network. I'm the beneficiary of alumni networks, mm-hmm. right? I graduated from an HBCU, Johnson C. Smith. Told to be with that, I was like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I know Brown's great, <laughs> but I'm just saying we might be able to find mm-hmm. you at HBCU. Morgan State is always okay, a bop. It is. Um, but like, and they have an amazing journalism program. I'm just saying. But like we want to make sure, A, that our students continue to stay connected to us, tell us where they are, but also stay connected to each other. We have, you know, 60 students who've been through this program. Some of those students came on to Yale. Some of those students are at Southern. Some of those students are at schools out of state. And some of those students will be out of state, right? Because we have students who, you know, we take students from ninth grade all the way to senior year. And so we want them to stay connected to each other. So that when the when there's a new job opportunity, when there's somebody who's doing something interesting, they're like, oh, I'm interested in that. Oh, can I come intern with you? Why? Of course you can. We want them to have those kinds of connections so that you're not at your senior year of high school, a talented student who gets into a school like Brown and can't go. That's just a travesty to me. And the fact that nobody at their school figured out how to get her to Brown and get that paid for. I don't understand that. Yeah, that's that's a problem for me. Yeah. Because my um, HBCU would have never. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mentorship is very key in all the things that we do. And we know like life is all about connections. It's not <laughs> what you can do, it's who you know. Right. You know, so. You can be as talented as you want to be, but if you are under-resourced, it is hard to make that talent go anywhere. For sure. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. What is the story that made you choose journalism? And I believe this also applies to audio journalism as well. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> just a little history on me. Um, so I, I had no interest in being a journalist. Like it, it wasn't something that's not what I initially had gone to school for. I initially gone to school for PR. And the crazy thing is, is that I didn't even know what public relations was until a woman came to my high school for dun, 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 career day. And she did an amazing presentation about being the PR person for our local utility. And she had she had this presentation. I just never forget it. It still stays in my mind. She had this stack of hats and the stack of hats. She's like, and I wear this hat this day and this hat this day and this hat. She's like, my day, my my job is never the same every day. And I was like, yep, that's the one. And so I was like, I'm going to school for public relations. And so um, I did two years at Savannah State, which is HBCU in uh, Savannah, Georgia. And I was in the communications department, but nobody there was really doing PR. So I was like, I don't know if this is the right fit. I learned about Johnson C. Smith, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and ended up transferring. And on the strength of the fact that they had 
a really aggressive communications department. Everybody in there had to be able to write. So no matter if you wanted to go into the music industry or if you wanted to go on radio, you had to learn how to write. You needed to know how to write for media. And so, and if you were in public relations, you needed to, because that's what you're doing. You're writing press releases for the press. And so, and you're speaking to the press and you're doing that on camera. So we all, we worked cross disciplines within the comms department. And so I got to be in my student newspaper and that was mandatory for everybody. Everybody had to do a turn on our student newspaper. It wasn't like Yale Daily, which is, you know, something that people get to kind of try out for and almost like a real newsroom even. Um, And so... I did my first semester on the student newspaper and fell in love with it. And by my junior year, I was editor in chief and I was editor in chief for the until I graduated because I I just I loved it. I love the idea that you could put a notepad in my hand and give me a camera. And now I had license to go ask people questions. And and they really weren't like they might not want to talk to me, but they weren't going to necessarily tell me no, because they knew it would look really silly if I wrote. No, they didn't like I'm going to write the story because we're still writing the story. And you're saying no comment looks worse on you than on me. It's not personal. But and the fact that and I still get like a charge when I go interview somebody, I can go interview the you know, I've interviewed governors. I've interviewed Maya Angelou. Like I've I've had the opportunity to interview tons of people. And I'm like and it's just because I was a voice on the other end of the phone saying, hey, I'm doing this story about this thing and didn't really want to go without your voice can we talk for the next five minutes? And people will be like, oh, can you call me back? I'm like, nope, the story's due at five. <laughs> <laughs> and I teach that to our students. I was like, you know, people are going to put you off. They're going to try to be like, uh, uh, I don't want to do it right now. And uh, it's a psychological thing to create a sense of urgency and be like, hey, yeah, so we're going to write this story anyway. And, you know, we think it'd be better with your voice, but eh, we can still print it if it doesn't have your voice in it. And so, you know, there's no one story that that made me know that journalism was for me, but it was that that sense of, quite frankly, it was power. Like it was the power to be like, yeah, you got to talk to me, governor so-and-so. Also, it was the opportunity as a black person. And I think you're going to have a question about this later. I realized that it meant something when the black lady went to ask, ask the question, particularly black people when they're like, oh, that they never come to talk to us. Right. And so I was like, this is my opportunity to make sure that my community is not unheard or unseen, right? Because they, they have voices. I don't give them voices. They have voices. But I wanted to make sure that the people that I wrote about, that they felt represented well and fairly. And it was particularly important when I moved to New Haven. I was a former reporter for the New Haven Independent. And it was important to me, particularly as the, the, a lot of the policing was happening and there was a lot of conversation about policing, still is a lot of conversation about policing. And I was like... I don't like this narrative of the dangerous neighborhood and I don't have to call something a dangerous neighborhood just because people keep saying it. Like unless the people who live in that neighborhood call it dangerous, like what the people in the neighborhood say is there are dangerous people in my neighborhood, but it's my neighborhood first. And I was like, because nobody nobody lives in a dangerous neighborhood on purpose. Like that just that just never like never sat right with me. So I always made it a point, even when I was covering something that had to do with crime to be certain about how I talked about neighborhoods. New Hallville is in a dangerous neighborhood to me. It's a, a neighborhood where da- people do dangerous things sometimes. It's not a dangerous that's neighborhood. Everywhere. That's everywhere. So <laughs> okay. That's a long answer. That was good, though. That was a beautiful answer. Thank yes, you. yes. I think originally when I started podcasting, and like I said, podcasting, in, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> originally when I started podcasting, it was my friend's idea to start it. Um, I've always been an outspoken person, but... 
getting behind that mic and like you said, representing what a black woman is was vital. And even within podcasts, I went from a single black woman to, um, you know, relationships and then to being a mother. So it helped me share my story in the evolution of me as a woman. And that's what we like to teach with our podcast program as well. Um, and being able to stand on 10, 10 toes down, like this is what I said and this is what I meant. And you can challenge me on on what I say, but this is what I mean. That's why I love podcasting because you can say what you want and nobody can tell you otherwise. So I think it just en- enhanced my voice and, and me being who I am. I guess it goes back into like seeing New Haven in different perspectives, um, especially when I started writing for the independent. It, it's so different with the art paper and the independent covers. So it's like a totally whole new experience. Like I feel like I fell in love with journalism again because of the stories I was reporting. I love the one where I went to Hamden and I covered underwater rugby because that's a thing. It's weird, but it, it's definitely a thing. And just seeing people and talking to people, I, I guess just their interactions ooh, and I don't know like I feel like it's making me more outspoken of a person like I always consider myself shy and I feel like I still am sometimes like oh I'm afraid to approach this person but like when people see the camera they're like oh are you the reporter I'm like oh yeah and it gives like a sense of legitimacy like I, I don't know what I'm doing I still don't know what I'm doing right but like just when people's eyes light up when they start talking that's amazing and they just go out rants you know sometimes it'd be going on for too long and I'm looking and I'm like listening to the audio I'm like oh what do I what do I quote what do I cut out but it, but it's just fun because like I get to like actually talk to people and like I said like as I'm I haven't really not that I'm not involved at school but like as a commuter it's really hard to get involved because you know you have to be a resident or you know Things happen late at night and I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be out home chilling. So just reporting gives me an excuse to like go outside and meet new people and just, I don't know, have fun. The actual time I've been exploring the city and I've lived here for all my life. So it's just really crazy that I haven't been doing this until now. And you're one of many, right? There's a lot of things I didn't know. Born and raised here as well. Um, But there's programs such as Yaji and, you know, Podin and all the different resources that are available that we are trying to get out there to the community because there's so many we see all the time. Hey, I got this program. Do you know any kids? And we're like, we got tons of kids because everybody's always saying there's nothing to do. students in this Yeah, school. right. Like, so um, helping to connect the students with the programs, great programs that are helping them to, you know, build themselves as young adults. It's, it's important work. So. And reporting about New Haven is how I fell in love with it, right? Like it's because you do get to go into these spaces like when I tell people that I've literally been all over the city, they're like, I, there are there's places that people who've lived there all their lives have never been. And I'm like, I don't I don't the sure city is this big. So but like, you know, I'm, I mean, tacos in Fairhaven. I'm, you know, dancing bachata in the hill. You know, I'm you know, we're drumming in New Hallville. Right. Like we're, we're doing whatever on Dixwell Avenue. Like. I just I love that. I've even been like out to like Bella Vista oh, yeah, for stories. Yeah. Like it's just it's just a vibe. Like the city is that that like it's a big little city. It's such an important city in the state. And so, you know, I've, you know, had the chance to cover the state house and meet the governor. And so when people are running for office, they always come to New Haven because these people get out and vote. And so like you get to get a sense, and I love hearing you say that that you feel like you get this sense of your city in a way that you'd never experienced before. And you get to you get to question stuff, right? Like as you continue to do this, and I hope you will, there's nothing 
that can be that that can take away from this kind of view that you have of your city that most people never get. Right. And you sharing it with them from your perspective as someone who was born here is huge. You went to high school here. Like, I love talking to people who are really from here because they have so many great stories about the city. And so I just, you know, I love that for you. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation where we talk about the point of Black History Month.